well, now they've gone and done it. I am back up here. What in the world? <laughs> um, so good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. My name is uh, Brady Richards. The last time I preached here was the first time I've ever preached here. It was in December, and honestly, so many of you were just you know, kind and gracious with words of affirmation to me and encouragement to me, um, and even bringing maybe words of conviction that you were hearing from the Lord. I, I was and still really am so grateful to you for bringing that to me, um, and I'm just so glad that the Lord was speaking. So thank you. Thank you, elders of EBF. Thank you, people of EBF, for just allowing me this opportunity to grow, um, for trusting me again with the preaching of God's word, and for opening your hearts one more time to what the Lord has to say through his word through me. It is truly humbling and it is scary, and it is transforming to me in the spirit, and hopefully you as well. So thank you. So, okay, you know, I've noticed something about you guys over the last eight years that I've been here. When, you know, when you invite people over, I see, like, one of three things. So people are coming over, you're inviting people over, and they, like, arrive, they come, the door is closed, it's locked, they have to knock on the door. Maybe you're in an apartment. You have to ring the doorbell, buzz in, and, you know, you come in, and all's fine and good, right? Some of you, though, some of you will give your key code beforehand. Like, you get a key code. You get a key code. You, I mean, it's just like you're handing it out. Or maybe, like, you send a text beforehand that says, um, you know, like, doors open or, um, you know, come up the back, right? And then they do that, and you come in, and whatever. Um, but for some of you, though, some of you, I could, people could just show up unannounced, and the door is just wide open, and, like, it maybe looks like Armageddon has just happened, the lights are on, like, nobody's maybe even there. I can just walk in, and I'm here. I'm in your home. I, I don't know. It's just, for some reason, that's funny to me to just see how, like, we're all so different and just kind of learn the quirks of, of each other. It's Okay. So, there it is. Um, so, as you might remember, uh, three weeks ago, we started a sermon series on the I Am Statements of Jesus in the book of John, um, and we really here want to dig deep into the statements of Jesus to really get Jesus right. Three weeks ago, Brother Matt started us off with a great foundational sermon, reminding us via A.W. Tozier that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us, and that through Christ the Lord has knitted his name to our own name. And then two weeks ago, we heard from Brother Bo about Jesus' first statement, I am the bread of life, and how God has provided the ultimate provision of life in his Son, the living bread. We didn't have an I Am series sermon last week, so today we pick the series back up with Jesus saying, I am the door. And next week, I am the good shepherd. And I kind of hope you'll forgive me today because I am the door and I am the good shepherd are extremely connected statements. Um, so I'm going to try my best to speak as little as possible to I am the good shepherd 
um, to allow room and leave the rest for Gianluca next week. So before we dive in and get started, would you join me today as we seek the Lord's counsel in his word? Let's pray. God Almighty, we come to worship and honor you today, and we come to hear from you. You have been faithful, and you have been good to us. We're here today. You've brought us back to this moment, and we just ask that you would enter in today and speak your words. Would you bring us as a church, local and universal today, edification, conviction if needed, and maybe just a breath of fresh air and life. Open our ears, our hearts today, and steer us away from any falsehood. We ask and pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So last time on the story of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples come upon a begging man who was blind from birth. The disciples ask whether the man is blind because of his own sin or his parents' sin, to which Jesus replies, neither, but it was so God's work can be revealed. Jesus then gives sight to the blind man. The crowd, confused, argues whether the healed man is the same man as before, to which the man confirms that he is the same man. So the crowd takes him back to the Pharisees, the Jewish elite, and the Pharisees either don't believe that Jesus did this miracle or that Jesus is a sinner for curing the man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees question the man and his parents multiple times about who he thinks Jesus is, and the man at first says he thinks he's a prophet. They tell him that Jesus is a sinner, to which he retorts, that only someone from God could perform such a miracle. And he then is shocked at the Pharisees when they say they do not know this Jesus and ask them if they want to become his disciples. Angry and embarrassed, they run the man out of the temple. Jesus finds him, asks him if he believes in the Son of Man, to which the man says, Lord, I believe. The Pharisees overhearing this question Jesus as to their own blindness, and he agrees that if they were blind, they would not be guilty. But because they can see, or they say they can see, their guilt remains. So it's after this moment that our scripture from John 10 comes today. Now, it, it is debated as to whether um, chapter 9 and chapter 10, there's, maybe there's a break in between these chapters, possibly meaning that the audience is different, possibly meaning that the situation is different. But regardless of whether there is a time difference or not, the author's intent here is that the themes between these two moments connect. A man healed by Jesus has come to truly worship Jesus as Lord and is kicked out of the temple because of his worship. And as we read today, just right before John 10, 7 through 10, which is our passage, Jesus tells the crowd a parable of the sheepfold. And the crowd does not understand the parable. So our passage today is Jesus elaborating on the parable, saying, I am the door. 
a sharp contrast to what has just happened to the blind man. And although the parable presented to us is generally understood today, generally, it is important to understand that it was not understood when Jesus said it. The Pharisees at the time were more worried about condemning Jesus and his actions rather than seeing him as God. They were more worried about people obeying the law than knowing the Savior. And even still, even still, Jesus tried to help them see. He tried to invite them in, and he wanted them to come to him and recognize him as God, Lord, and Savior. And we will see that. We will see that what Jesus was doing by saying, I am the door, was inviting people in. So let us reread today's passage, which is John 10, 7 through 10. John 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Through this passage, we are going to see how Jesus invites people in by looking at the three people he's talking about in here. He's teaching about. Those three people are Jesus himself, false teachers, and believers. Jesus as himself, false teachers, and believers. We're going to have to do a little bit of jumping around, so I hope you'll bear with me. But let's go back to the text again, verses 7 and verse 9. Verse 7 and verse 9, to see how Jesus invites the crowd in by teaching them about himself. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. And verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In these two verses, Jesus is telling the people three things about himself. That he is the protector, he is the only way, and he is God. He is the protector, he is the only way, and he is God. So how is Jesus the protector? Well, thank you for asking. (laughs) I don't know. After Jesus noted that the crowd was not understanding what he was saying, he began to elaborate on his previous statements in verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, where he says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So here in verse 7 and 9, he clarifies that he is not only the shepherd, which we will get to next week but that he is the door. He is the very door they are walking through. 
And what is he talking about here, right? What is he talking about? Sheep pens. He's talking about sheep pens. Okay, great. And he's not just talking about some bougie, Gucci sheet pen that would have been some like wooden structure with multiple pens and multiple entrances. No, 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 no. He is referring to a rural sheet pen that would have likely been a pile of rocks stacked in circular formation with one open entrance for the sheep to enter. In a pen like this, the shepherd would literally sit or stand or lay in the one entrance to be the physical boundary to keep the sheep in and everything else out. So Jesus is the protector of the sheep pen and the sheep. And not only is Jesus the protector, but he is the only way, the only way in or out of the sheep pen. See, If he is the door to the sheep pen, then he is not only the literal barrier keeping the sheep in and out, but he is the portal. He is the portal by which one enters and the one who we will see, see the sheep through. In verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Essentially, he is saying, I am the one true way to life. And if you enter this door, You will be protected and receive eternal salvation by the blood, by his blood on the cross. And this alludes to the Passover and Exodus when Israelites would have to paint the blood of a newborn spring lamb above their doorposts as a sign for the Spirit of God to pass over. So Jesus here is essentially saying what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.18, which is for through him, Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus is the only way in. And by saying that he is the only way to God, Jesus is really saying that he is God. And when he says here that he is the door, he's not just talking about being the door just to the sheep, right, but also to the shepherd. So while we see the imagery of the shepherd, you know, sitting in the doorway and being the protector, Jesus is also the protector and the way to the shepherd. You know, later in the same chapter, John uh, John 10, in verses 29 through 30, he says, my father who has given them the sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is saying here that he has the right to forgive sins. He has the right to offer salvation. He has the ability to give life to all, to the lowly, to the high, to the master and the servant. Because he doesn't just know the way to God. He is the way. Many before him claimed to know the way, but Jesus' claims are true. He is the only way to God because he is God. So, you're asking me, how is Jesus inviting us in by teaching us about himself here? He is the protector, but he's not a bank vault. You don't need the secret code to get in. He's the only way, 
but he's not a club entrance. You don't have to look a certain way or be a certain type of person or be cool enough to get in. He's God, but he's not a metal detector looking to find that one sin you've still got left in your life. And beep, 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 nope, sorry, you can't come in. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The Pharisees looked at the blind man and saw his status. They saw his ailments. They saw his sin. Jesus looked at the blind man and saw his faith. And he asked us to come to him as God in faith. So Jesus is the protector. He is the only way. And he is God. But He doesn't just invite the people in by teaching them only about himself. He teaches us also about false teachers. So he teaches us about false teachers. Let's look at verses 8 and 10 in our passage today. John 10, 8, and 10. In verse 8, Jesus says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here, Jesus continues to build his claim to the crowd that he is the door by posing the exact opposite, that all other ways and all other teachers are false. And he points to two things to do that, who the false teachers are, and what the false teachers' goals are. Who the false teachers are, and what the false teachers' goals are. Who are the false teachers? Well, verse 9 says it clearly, right? Verse 9, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. The thief is the one who steals cunningly with deceit or tricks or by raising doubt. You know, we can see an example of this in the famous story in Genesis 3 of Satan in the Garden of Eden. He tries to deceive Eve by questioning, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan uses questioning to slightly turn God's words and make Adam and Eve rely on his words rather than God's words. So that's the thief. The robber is one who steals by force. And maybe that could be someone that has, in this image of the sheep pen, thrusted themselves over the wall, the stone wall, into the sheep pen. Um, You can read this to be someone that maybe has thrusted themselves into a place of authority in the church. And in verse 9, when he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, it's easy to think that he is referencing those who came before him and claimed to be the Messiah and amassed large crowds. And it is true that these people were false teachers, and, but really, he is specifically talking about the Pharisees here, those that we previously saw doubted Jesus' godness and claimed Jesus to be the false teacher. 
So the false teachers through cunning and force are thieves and they are robbers. And it's great to know who these false teachers are, thieves and robbers, but what is their ultimate goal? And in verse 10, verse 10 has the answer to this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says this again in direct juxtaposition to what he does, what he does, which is give provision, give life, and give safety, which we will get to later. But in the context of the sheep pen image, the thief's ultimate goal, the thief's ultimate goal is to get into the sheep pen and steal the sheep away from the fold for his own, to destroy everything the sheep and the shepherd have along the way, and ultimately to spiritually kill the sheep. And since Jesus is directly pointing his comments at the Pharisees here, we have to somewhat analyze their actions. They claimed that they did not know this Jesus. They didn't know where he came from. He did a miracle on the Sabbath, which was frowned upon, strictly prohibited, and this dude was claiming to be God. And yes, I just called Jesus dude. Sorry, Jesus. Um, (laughs) So this kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense. But their ultimate goal, the Pharisees' ultimate goal, was to retain control of power within their community. They felt like they were the ones that decided who was in the sheepfold and who was not. And they tried to use power, their own influence, and the law to do so. And honestly, there's so much of this in our world today, right? Preachers and religious leaders in the so-called Christian world using the guise of Christ for their own gain. People that might claim Christ but teach, live, and do so, so differently. Tele-evangelists, prosperity gospel preachers, legalists, universalists, or moralists, they all claim something about Jesus, some part of Jesus, but teach and do something very, very different than what he came to do. He came to teach you that he is the door. And no law, no money, no sex, no morality, no power can get you into that door. False teachers, through cunning and force, come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And this one's the hardest one to see how Jesus is teaching or how Jesus is inviting us into the sheepfold here, right? But he, like a father or mother teaching their child to not put the hand on the burner when the stove is on, is showing us that false teachers are those that are not submitted to God's will. Rather, they are more focused on their own desires, their own power, and their own goals. They are not those that build up and encourage in godly wisdom. They are the ones that constantly find a way to tear down and destroy. They are not those that are walking in the freedom and grace of Christ. Rather, they force personal standards onto others, maybe even themselves, and judge. 
And ultimately, they are not those that will walk through the door of Jesus. And guys, like let, let's be real here. Jesus is not here to trick you. He didn't come to take things away from you. He is not here for some political power or religious power. He came to bring access to God. He came to bring you life and bring you into the sheepfold. Into the sheepfold. Let me read you a passage that I think is kind of the exact opposite of the false teacher. In Hebrews 10, it says this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, the only way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, the door, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water, with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us con consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as that is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. False teachers through cunning and force come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we've seen how Jesus invites the people in by teaching them about himself and false teachers. Now let's hear what Jesus has to teach them about believers. Let's see what Jesus has to teach them about believers. In verses, this is going to be most of the passage, verse 8, 9, and 10. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And honestly, I, I've got to tell you, I wanted to call this point you and not believers, but honestly, I didn't want to assume that everybody here would be a believer. So I said believers. This whole time, we have been seeing that Jesus is contrasting himself with the Pharisees and other teachers. But hidden in each of these statements that he's given us have been sweet reassurances to believers, the sheep, and an invitation in. And I see Jesus again in these three verses inviting the crowd in by teaching people three things, another three, sorry, three things about believers. Believers are safe in Jesus. Believers are satisfied in Jesus. And believers will have life abundantly in Jesus. Believers are safe in Jesus. Believers are satisfied in Jesus and believers will have life 
abundantly in Jesus. Now, believers here in this image are obviously the sheep, uh, the people who have entered the door of Jesus. But once believers have entered into this door, believers are people who are safe in Jesus. We see this in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Jesus, as the door, is giving the sheep safe passage into the sheepfold and out of the sheepfold. The sheep can go in safely. They can find shelter. They can find comfort, a family, a home. And the sheep can go out safely to find nourishment and food and know with confidence that Christ is their protector. And Psalm 121.8 says this well, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So believers are people who are safe in Jesus. And when believers know that they are safe in Jesus, believers are satisfied in Jesus. In verse 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. His people, his sheep, will not follow the voice or the way of a false teacher because they have entered through the true door. And this doesn't mean that we will not audibly hear the words of a false teacher or see the way of a false teacher or have to process through those things, but that they will not recognize them. They will recognize, sorry, they will recognize the non-truth and not follow it because they know Jesus. So there is a little bit of onus here on the sheep, right? That once they know the way, they continue to recognize the way by things like reading scripture, knowing his voice, prayer, going to him, and the fellowship with other believers, the people that sharpen you. And another way is by making him known to others. When believers know the way, when they know they can go in and out safely and find pasture, as verse 9 tells us, they will be satisfied. And Psalm 23 is a great psalm for this, and I'm not going to read the beginning, which is typical, but seven, verses 7 and 8, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So even when the believers are going out and going in, and we maybe we see the wolves coming for us, or we see the nice food that the goats are eating, or we see the luxurious life of the pigs, we are safe and we are satisfied because we know the way home. We know our provision our having and our not having is from the Lord. So believers are satisfied in Jesus. And when believers know the door, are safe in Jesus, and are satisfied in Jesus, believers will have life abundantly in Jesus. 
In verse 10, Jesus wraps this statement, the I am the door statement, up by saying this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I should make special note here that this passage has commonly been used by the very false teachers that Jesus is teaching against. Health, wealth, prosperity, Life should be good, right, for those that have faith. And if, you, and if it's not, you know, just have more faith, guys. Give a little bit more. Serve a little bit more, right? No. Where's the anointing? No. Why isn't my life great? No, no. Sorry, Jesus is not saying that life as a believer will always be pleasant or easy or luxurious, but that through our satisfaction in him alone, in God, our lives will be full and our needs will be met because he knows them. You know this all too well. But life as a human has been tainted by the first robber, Satan. And since that point, human hearts have forever been searching for something more than God and something more than Jesus offers. Maybe you, even today, doubt one of these things that Jesus teaches about believers. Am I saved? Am I safe? Am I satisfied? Is my life abundant? And it's because of this, our greatest need has always been and will forever be reconciliation with God. Knowing this, Jesus came to the earth as God, not to fulfill what the Pharisees wanted of their Messiah, which was power and control, but to fulfill God's purpose and forever tear the veil, to forever be the open door to his people, so they could come back into the sheepfold by his death on the cross. And he invites us to have faith in him as Lord, as God, as Savior, and come to the door, knock, enter in, and go out. Believers have life abundantly in Jesus. And this is how believers, uh, Jesus invites believers in by reminding us that we are the sheep. We are not the door. We are not the gatekeepers of the gospel. That is idol worship. We, as believers, knowing the goodness and the kindness of our Savior, share the gospel, but we do not control who accepts it. When and if we do, we become blind, just like the Pharisees. And here is a passage, one more more passage that I think will back this up. In Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 17, Moses gives these stipulations for masters to their slaves. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you 
he shall serve you for six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you will give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if the slave says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. You see, in this time of writing, a person with an unpayable debt could be sold to a wealthy businessman or a rich landowner as a slave and serve them for seven years to then be freed of their debt. And I am sure that some would obviously wrongly take advantage of this bond. But Moses' command here is to give the servant abundantly for the work he has done and to treat him well as the Lord has treated the master. But what is more important to note here is that a slave acknowledging the goodness and kindness of a master could stay a slave of the master forever through the ritual piercing of his earlobe into the doorpost. A crude gesture. I don't want to do that. Sorry, women that do that all the time. And sometimes men. Hey, whatever. Piercing the, you know, whatever. Okay, sorry. But, okay. (laughs) Sorry. This is the gospel that we were forever debtors to sin. We were forever slaves to sin. And Jesus bought us with his own blood. He showed us his goodness and kindness. He showed us the way and he showed us the door. And we as believers, noting his goodness, nail our earlobe to the door of Jesus. And in so doing, he forever nails his hands to the cross for us, forgiving us of sin and uniting his name to ours. He invites us to come and knock and enter in that door where believers are safe, are satisfied, and will have life abundantly in Jesus. Friends, brothers, sisters, we have gone through a lot today. That was kind of dense. I'm sorry. But through Jesus's I am the door statement, we have seen that Jesus is inviting us in by teaching us about himself, who he is, about false teachers, who they are, and about believers, who hopefully you are. And I hope that you see through this statement that Jesus is inviting you to come and knock. One of the very last things written in the whole Bible in the whole book of Revelation is this. The spirit and bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. 
And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let us not be the Pharisees. Let us learn to turn from our old ways. Let us come to God and remove ourselves off the thrones of our lives and allow nothing else but Jesus to be the door. Let's pray. O Lord, Father, you alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are glorious. No man, no thing on earth can steal your glory. And we are forever grateful to you for inviting us into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we are not sure of our salvation or of our safety in you, would you sweetly draw us back to you into the sheepfold? Lord, please forgive us of the ways that we have worshiped power or status over you. Have your spirit continue to remind us again and again that you are God and we are not. Thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, a gift we did not deserve but you lovingly gave. Help us to forgive others as you have forgiven us through Jesus. It is by your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.